take your Bibles and turn to Second Timothy, chapter four, Second Timothy, chapter four. We're going to take uh, just a little break from our verse by verse exposition of the book of Titus uh, to present to you a tool that perhaps uh, could be used by you for the rest of your life with great profit. Second Timothy, chapter four. If you've uh, ever spent some time in California in the San Jose area, you probably saw some signs and maybe you even took this in. But there is a there is this major tourist attraction. It's called the Winchester Mystery House. It's this California mansion. And I bet some of you have actually been over there and you've actually taken this in. This is just unlike anything you've ever seen before. It was built by the widow of William Wirt Winchester and Sarah Winchester after her husband passed away, the great gun magnet. She took on this endeavor to build a mansion. And so it began in 1884. She had significant resources, not only from her husband's estate, but she was receiving 50 percent of the profit profits and income coming from uh, the uh, repeating gun uh, Winchester repeating arms company. And so she had tons of money available to her. And so she just started building. She hired crews and they began work in 1884. They worked 365 days out of the year. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They just kept building. And you go, wow, must be significant. And it was. This this mansion eventually reached up to the height of seven stories, although today it's only at four stories due to an earthquake that occurred in 1908. What happened, though, is that she had no plan whatsoever. Whatever she desired, that's what she had her builders build. Okay, and so this is what she came up with. I mean, this is an amazing. They had 160 rooms. They had 40 bedrooms, two ballrooms, 47 fireplaces, 10,000 window panes, 17 chimneys. There's evidence of two others, uh, two basements, three elevators, whatever she wanted. That's what she just had her crews start to build. And so they would just build, they'd excavate, they'd dig, they'd build, add some more things. She might have them stop, and I want you to just do this. And that's how it functioned, and it remains so. And this happened for 38 years until she died and passed away September 5th, 1922, when construction stopped. Now, today, it's a magnificent mansion, but it's, it's, a, it's a tourist trap, but it's chaotic, there's no rhyme or reason. You have staircases that go up, but they go up to nowhere. You have a chimney. You have a fireplace, but it may not be connected. And, and it just spoke of just a chaotic, random approach to building. Now, that's one thing for if you're just kind of building a mansion and you have all sorts of financial resources to do it. But it's pretty depressing and sad if that's how you go about building and developing your life. I can tell you, I do not want to go through life kind of like I walk through an amusement park and whatever kind of catches you. I like, hey, I think I'll just do this for a little while and you hang out here. Then you go spend some money over here and then you do something over here. Um, I'm like you. I would like to experience God's fullness in my life. I want to walk just as we sing. I want to I want to walk according to his will. I want to be right where God wants me to be. I don't. I understand that activity does not equal results. Just doing things doesn't necessarily equal results. And so I'm sure you're with me. We want our lives to be focused on God's purposes. We want to experience his fullness. And we want to be able to do like Paul did at the end of his life, be able to say this. And I'd like you to look at it in his final letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see what he was able to say. 
He says in chapter four, verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in the future. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. I would like to be like Paul to be able to say, I have accomplished what you have desired. My life was yielded to your purposes. I walked in your ways and I followed your will. Now, the, the problem is, is that most Christians don't have a way of bringing refocus to their life. And we are always bombarded by situations and opportunities and circumstances and difficulties and trials and temptations. And we as we move through life, if you don't have a way of bringing focus to recalibrate your life, you'll generally find that toward the end of your life, you've gone into a lot of different directions, but there's really no rhyme or reason. Hopefully your life won't resemble the Winchester mansion where it's just chaotic. But if you don't have a tool or a means to focus your life, then there's some there's a strong probability that you're going to have a lot of misdirections and misfires in your life. And so what I'd want to do at the beginning of this year, I wanted to give you a tool, a tool for you to be able to bring focus, to refocus your life. Three years ago, I presented this and. Uh, and this is something that I do. I call it a personal retreat day. I've been doing it for years. I presented it three years ago. We've passed out lots of different messages over the years as I've continued to do this. I've refined it a little bit. And so what I want to do this morning is to give you a tool that you can use for the rest of your life to bring focus to all of your days. Now, no problem has ever been solved without asking the right questions. And so what you're going to find, and you have this study guide in your bulletin today, is that you're going to have all these different questions. Okay? And what I'm presenting to you is a system that you can follow that can bring focus to the rest of your life. To bring perspective, to help you find out where life is out of balance, where you are becoming more self-reliant rather than God-dependent. And so it's a means to address and to perhaps either change the course of your direction or to make some fine tuning as to where you're going. What I'm presenting to you focuses around four major questions, and they're simple questions. First question is, who am I? Second is, where am I going? The third is, how am I doing? And the fourth is, what are my next steps? Okay, and so that's where we're going to go. But if you don't have a means of refocusing, let me tell you what happens. You fry your emotions. You damage your body, you start neglecting your family and your friends. And so what I want to do is give you this tool. Now, you're going to find some different questions in your study guide this morning. Uh, I'm indebted to Bob Beal. He is a Christian author and consultant, and he's the one I originally heard a lot of these questions for, and it's got me started on, on developing a pattern in my life to be able to bring focus. And so what you want to do is you need to schedule what you could call like a personal retreat. And I have found that you can do this anywhere from like two hours to a half day, maybe if you have a whole day or you got a Saturday or something where you can actually take to bring focus with the this is the intent is that you are going to go and use this time to meet with God and to discuss and write out aspects of your life, where you're going, what you're doing, etc. And so what you want to do is you want to schedule a time away. And this is a time for you to get out of the fog of the battle and to get up on a hill and to see what's really going on. And where you're going now, I'd suggest you find a place that you might find refreshing for some of you. That might be a coffee house. Uh, you're looking for a good place here in Waco. The Woodway Arboretum has some great places where you can sit down in the middle of God's creation. It's very close to here. And but find a place, whether it be a park, 
uh, find maybe it's a coffee shop, maybe it's your own home, maybe it's even your car. You just drive to a place and you take some time with the idea, I am going to meet with God. And I heard of one couple, they, um, what they do is they take turns watching the kids. So one of them goes off and they have their personal retreat time. And when they come back, then the other goes out there because they have realized the value of doing this in terms of their benefit in their family and their own personal life. So, uh, like, for instance, New Year's Day, when I got up in the morning, house is all quiet, everybody's sleeping. I had an opportunity to do this, to just go and start and have a personal retreat day and kind of walk through these questions. Another occasion to do this is perhaps on your birthday or the season kind of around your birthday. Ideally, you'd like to do this about once a quarter, perhaps even once a month. And the first time it takes a little bit longer. But as you do this, you find that you can do this rather quickly and start bringing some recalibration, some refocus to your life. But if you're going, well, you know, I'm so busy just doing everything. I don't have time to pull away. I don't have time to take time with God to focus on my life. I just am too busy. Well, then you probably are too busy and you're also missing something that Jesus did. No one was busier than Jesus or had more demands on him. But if you look like in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says about him, but the news about him was spreading even further. And large crowds were gathering to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. But it says in the next verse, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus understood the importance of spending time with his father, even in the midst of the demands. I mean, he could heal people and there were sick people that knew it and they were doing everything they could to get to him. He was teaching masses were coming to him. But yet Jesus, in the midst of all the demands and the pressures of his life, you know what he did? He took time to spend time with his father. Or like in Mark 6, 31, he said, instead of them, he said to his disciples, listen, I want you to come away by yourselves to the secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Okay, they were so busy. And in the midst of their busyness, Jesus says, listen, I love you and I know what you need. You need rest in me. You need an opportunity to refocus. We're going to come away. We're going to break away from these crowds. You don't even have time to eat. And we're going to take some time to rest and recalibrate. And so what you want to do is you you intentionally find your time. And as you begin your time, you're going to be flooded with some different emotions and a lot of things that you should be doing, supposedly, in your mind. And so this is what I do. I, I generally have it either on a piece of paper or I put it on my little PDA. Anything that comes to mind that I need to do or call somebody or, oh, yeah, I got to prep for this meeting or that appointment or whatever, I just write it down. Okay. And in fact, I do this on my daily quiet time because it seems inevitably there's things that come to my mind like, oh, yeah, that's right. And I'll start focusing on that unless I write it down on a piece of paper. Once I write it down on a piece of paper, I haven't forgotten it. I don't have to worry about it. And it's right there. So I can actually focus back on this time with God. And so you just kind of write it down. And you just take some time just to rest your emotions and your mind. And so uh, what I do is I, uh, I write these things down and these, these four questions and my responses to them in a journal. And this is uh, this actually this journal here. It's a leather journal. We have them available after service if you want them. And I have over the years, I just write down where I'm at, my date, and I write my responses to these four questions. I write down thoughts. I write down prayers. There's some very intimate details in this book, so I'm not going to be passing around service in case you're after wondering, like, can I read all that? But there are decisions that have affected my life personally, my family, the life of this church. As I prayed and gone before God, 
and really thought, okay, Lord, where are we at? What do you want us to be doing? And so the first question that you ask is, who am I? You start off with your identity, your identity in Christ. Who are you really? And this is where the scriptures are so marvelously clear. And for us as Christians, we have we are of all people should have an absolute clear sense of our identity. And so like it says in those great verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's how we just actually began. Lord, we present ourselves to you. We yield our lives to you. We are a living and holy sacrifice. All of us, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your life is worship to God. Everything about it, not just, well, while I'm at church or at Bible study. No, everything you do, you sleep, what you do with your free time, what you do for your work, your in-between times, your driving time, our life is all about worship. And so he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you do not have a way of recalibrating and renewing your mind, you're going to find yourself slipping into the world's mold. You'll be conformed to the world's mold. No, we need to have a way of renewing our mind. And that's what he says. But be transformed, changed from within by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And you see what renewal does when we renew our minds to who we really are in Christ, why it gives us a whole new sense of perspective. The things that were once overwhelming or that crushing sadness or that difficulty or that defeat, all of a sudden God gives us his perspective his peace, his power, all sourced in his presence. And who are you really? If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've turned from your sin, you've accepted Christ's payment for your sin, but you have, you, you've trusted Christ himself, a person, not a plan, the Bible says you are united with him. And there's amazing, marvelous truth about what is true spirituality or true Christianity. It is the reality that Jesus Christ resides within his very own people. So like in Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but what? But Christ lives in me. Did you get that? Christ lives within his people. His spirit resides in you in the life that I live in the flesh. Flesh. I, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You are completely loved, absolutely accepted in Jesus Christ. And his spirit has taken up residency in your life. Or for instance, like he says in, in Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, we have this second pastoral prayer. He says, this is what I'm praying, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. I want you to realize the amazing power of the presence of God in your life. And so that's why I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with his power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He lives within us. We're united with him. We will always be united with him. And he has sealed us with his spirit and he has marked us out by actually placing his Holy Spirit in our lives. 
I find these truths to be marvelously refreshing and renewing. They are things that we want to be thinking about on a daily basis. I'm united with Christ. This is the mystery that has long been hidden in past ages, like Paul wrote about in Colossians 1.26. But it's been manifested in the saints. Colossians 1.27 says this. To whom God made known what are the riches of this glory, a glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so that's what we do. We once again renew ourselves to the gospel. We renew ourselves to who we are in Jesus Christ. We have been buried and dead to our sin, and we are now alive in Jesus Christ. His resurrected life is our ability to experience true, authentic spiritual life. And so this is what we do. We we spend time just focusing on who we are in Jesus Christ. And when you realize that you are freely, completely loved, you are absolutely accepted in him, it actually gives you the freedom to move forward. It renews your perspective, your priorities, everything about you. And you also need to realize that Christ not only as well as in your heart, You have a relationship with him, but he actually has given you some certain key roles and some key relationships and responsibilities in life. And so after spending some time, maybe I'd write out those verses in my journal, maybe some thoughts about what does it mean that Jesus Christ actually lives within me, that I'm one of his. Then I would like to start writing out what are my significant relationship roles? So like if you're married, your spouse. Okay, so I I would put down like I'm a husband to Karina. And then I'm a parent. I have four kids or maybe you're a parent. So you write down your your I'm a parent, too. And you write down your kids names. And maybe you're a grandparent and you write down your 17 grandchildren that you have or whatever. Okay, you write those all down or other significant relationships that God has given you that they are obvious and evident in your life. And then not only do you write down your your key relationship roles, but also then your unique gifts and skills that God has given you. Um, Hopefully you have taken some time to process and figure out what is it that God has truly gifted me at. Um, If you're a new Christian, you need to realize that at the time you put your faith and trust in Christ, he actually has given you gifts to serve his body and to serve him. And so what you want to do over time and as you discuss with people and you try some different things out, you try to assess what is it that I am gifted at or skilled at. And I write these things down because it helps remember, like, this is what specifically others have identified. I've identified that I believe God has gifted me to be. And specifically, you might want to try to identify what is your single greatest strength. And sometimes I ask people that, you know, and they're kind of trying to figure out what do I do with my life or where am I going or I'm stuck. I ask them this question. What is your single greatest strength? What is it that you do best? Um, what is your greatest talent? Now, obviously, you probably can do a lot of things well. What, what, what can you do very best? What's your, what's your strength? What's your best thing that you can do? Not your B-side strength, like integrity or kindness, but like, like counseling or being able to teach or lead or administrate or serve or something to do with music or, or working with people. Write that out. And by the way, if you're going through, like some people call a midlife crisis, you know, and like, oh, my goodness, look at the time in my life. And most of it's gone now. What am I doing? And this one question will be very helpful in helping you pull out of this. What is it that God has gifted you uniquely for? What is your single greatest strength? Now, don't compare yourself with others like, oh, I sure wish I had so and so's gift. And no, what is it that God's uniquely gifted you as? 
So this is an idea of my first section here. Who am I? And I write responses to those different things. I may even have a prayer that goes along that. I write this in my journal. Then I come to that second question. The second question is, well, where am I going? Okay. so first one is, who am I now? Where am I going now for the Christian? This really is a question that we should be able to answer quickly and well, because it's very clear in the scriptures what God intends for every person. And that is that we become mature or complete in Christ. So like Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says this. We proclaim him, speaking of Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That word complete, teleos, means mature, perfect, complete, full. That is what God desires in every single person, is that we become mature in our relationship with Christ. And that maturity is reflected in all of our life. And Paul says, This is the one thing that I do. This is my whole purpose. This is my focus to see people become complete in Christ. He says in in the next verse in Colossians 129, he says, you know, for this very purpose, I labor and strive according to his power, which mightily works within me. It's not that I'm doing it on my own. It's Christ's presence, his spirit working in me. But I have given my life so that people may become mature and complete in him. And that is where we're going. Ultimately, we're at maturity. Now, think about it as a as a parent. If you have like a a one year old, how many of you want your kid just to stay at one? I mean, I know those are special times and diapers and all that fun stuff and how they like to wake up in the middle of the night and stuff. But those are great times. And God gives young people babies because they can handle it. Right. But you don't want your child to stay like at age one for the rest of their life. Do you No. What do you want for your kids? You want them to grow and mature and develop. You want to come from a point where you're feeding them to where one day they're feeding themselves. And this is very messy for many years, but they get better at it. Right. And they and they get they learn how to feed themselves. And then, you know, the day comes where they can actually dress themselves. And when they hit, you know, a certain age, they can actually put on their own shoes and that they can tie them. Whoa, you know what I'm saying? And we're giving merit badges at this point, you know, if they can do that. Because what? We want our kids to grow and mature to be fully functional adults. And if that is not your goal, there is a problem with your parenting. Well, God has the exact same goal for his children. He wants you to grow and mature. To In every respect of life, he wants you to experience his fullness. He doesn't want you to be an inch deep infant in your faith. He wants you to mature and grow and be strong and solid in him. And so that's where we're at. We want maturity. That's what we have. So that's what I rewrite that on my journal. I write like that is in every respect. I may experience the fullness of maturity in Christ because that's what he wants for you. And so you can recognize when you see mature individuals, you can recognize physical maturity. That's pretty easy. Another one that's real easy is you can recognize emotional maturity. I mean, have you ever been thrown off when you come across an adult and they are like functioning like at a 13 year old level and like, whoa, wait a second here. Something's wrong. They can't figure out why all their relationships are dysfunctional and they, they kind of blame it on everybody else. And like, whoa, they, they have something. They got stuck They're, They haven't matured. But there's there's physical maturity. There's emotional maturity. But there's spiritual maturity. 
where you have, you're experienced in your walk with God. You have grown comfortable with him. You understand you have a holy fear of him, and yet you have a great dependence upon him. There's a great joy and delight in knowing God. So we are after maturity and maturity. God seeks to develop maturity in three areas. Comprehension. Those are the things of what we know, your understanding, your knowledge. OK, this is especially in regards to God and, and life with God. But then he also seeks to develop maturity, not only in our comprehension, head knowledge, but convictions. And this is what we believe, our attitudes, our beliefs, our values. This is what we think and believe. It's based on comprehension. You've got to first know it. But you then orient your life. You have convictions based on this about God, sin, heaven, hell, things to come, right versus wrong, his priorities, what he's after and what should be my priorities. These are your convictions. And then based on that comprehension and convictions, the third area in maturity is conduct, your behavior. God wants us to have mature behavior. It's sourced in your convictions, which is sourced in your comprehension. But your life As you go through trials, the things you experience, what you say yes to, what you say no to, how you exercise discernment, there is in your observable behavior maturity. And so that's what he's after. So in this section here of where am I going, I write statements about about maturity in Christ in these different areas. Now, some of you have a personal like mission statement for your life. Uh, It took me years and mine has changed over the years, but I'll just give you mine. Mine is. To is to basically just walk with God, to walk joyfully and confidently with God and to love and lead others in the life we have with Christ. Now, it's similar to our church's mission statement, because so much of my life is aligned here with things that we're doing at fellowship. So my personal mission statement is very close to what we talk about here at fellowship as a mission statement. But I want to walk joyfully and confidently with God and to love and lead others in the life that life stands for loving God, investing in others, following his word, engaging our world and the life we have in Christ. And so I write that. And sometimes it's just even through the day, like if I just need a quick refocus, I pray through that, that quick mission statement. And I find that God is able to refocus, recenter me. And so I'll, I'll just write that out. I've written it out before. I'll just write it out again. And so this is what I'm doing. I'm writing these sort of things in this section of Where am I going? I'm after maturity. Now, in this section, you may also want to consider just some goals that you have. What what is it? Lifetime goals, goals that you have in some major areas in your life. So you think of, first of all, like personally and in your personal life, there's there's different aspects of it. Like there's your spiritual life. Like what is it that you think that God's calling to you into your in terms of your spiritual life? Like maybe you'd like to read through the Bible a certain number of times in your lifetime. Or read through a book of theology or several. Or maybe you want to develop a pattern where, you know, I'm praying for about 30 minutes a day where I'm just I'm on my knees and I'm I'm praying about the needs of the world and praising God. And I, I want to develop as a man or a, a woman of prayer. So you just write down some goals that you have that spiritually that these are all under the category of personally. Then there's physically. Maybe you'd like to, you know, as a healthy, mature person, I'd, I'd want to be able to walk three miles a day or, you know, three times a week or, or run a race like a 5K race or be in a bike race. Or I want to exercise a certain number of period of time or I want to be trying to get a certain number of hours of sleep in or, you know, something that can be categorized. Maybe it's like a, a weight issue. Like, you know, I want to be in a healthy weight range. Put those things down in just the area of physical, emotional 
these are a little bit harder, but I kind of try to put it like I want to be emotionally stable. I don't want to be like emotions whipping me around in the wind. OK, I would like to be pursuing joy in Christ. And so I might write something about that. And then just intellectually, what kind of goals do you have, like reading goals or educational goals, things you want to write or research? If there's some goals or things that you'd like to accomplish in your lifetime, why don't you just write those down? Why don't you just put it out there? Things like I'd like to do. And then there's the area of relationally. And then what kind of now what kind of spouse or parent or grandparent or friend do you want to be remembered as? Okay, think at the end of your life. What would you want people to say about you in terms of what kind of person you were in respect to them? And they and you might want to just kind of write out, describe that kind of person, maybe wise, loving, gracious, forgiving, caring, thoughtful. Put it out there. What what is it that you'd like to be known as? Then you come to the area of professionally. Maybe there is a particular position or a sales goal or something that you would like to accomplish or a particular role that you would like to have. Why not just write it out there and you, you pray about it and say, Lord, I, I think that you're giving me a desire to do this. And you write it out. And then there's financially. I put financial because Jesus spoke so much about money. And so what kind of financial goals like do you have, like living within your means? Hopefully all of you have that. And if not, you're paying some pretty heavy tuition, right? Um, paying off all my debt. Um, maybe uh, certain giving goals, like I would like to give X percent of my income or that percent increases every five years. Or I'd like to be able to make this significant gift or or maybe even things in ther- terms of like retirement, like I would like to have. Set aside this amount so I need to be doing this in the case that I'll be retiring and not be able to do the things that I'm doing at present. And then finally, you think about ministry goals. What is it that that you would like to accomplish? Maybe it's help a ministry advance or launch a ministry or have be faithfully serving in a particular ministry. But you write out a ministry goal. Maybe like I'd like to lead a Bible study or I'd like to have been. Uh, faithfully serving in a particular ministry and helping it move forward. So you write out these goals. Now, um, maybe something, you, a question that you might want to ask yourself or just what are some significant things I would like to accomplish or be involved in in my lifetime? Why don't you just write it down? And related to that is just kind of what are your passions and, your, and what is your dream? What is, what is the things that you feel deeply about? Like maybe you feel deeply about abortions or, or discipleship or church growth. You, you write those things out because God has likely put this in your heart because he wants to use you in his kingdom and for these purposes. And then your vision or your dream is, you know, what is it that you would like to long term eventually be doing? What is it that you'd like to be moving toward and having a thought of the future in focus as you start moving through the present? So these are all the, what I put down in that category of where am I going? So we have talked about who am I? Where am I going? Talked about maturity and we'll look at all the different major areas of our life. And then the third major category you look at is then, well, how am I doing? OK, this is where you actually have a personal evaluation, like where am I really at? Now, what I find is I either write down words that describe how I'm doing or I put it on a scale of one to ten or you could do one to seven, you know, ten being high, one being low. And I start to try to quantify this so I have some idea of where I'm going. So so personally, I go through the same areas like spiritually. I look at I try to evaluate how is my fellowship with God and I try to write down. What is it that I'm experiencing there? Am I enjoying him? Am I depending upon him? Am I living by faith or am I just living by sight? What does my prayer life look like? 
Is there a development in my understanding of the scriptures? What, is, what does that look like? God isn't is like keeping score, and this isn't like a legalistic thing. This is just a means of evaluating where am I at. Um, you might want to be asking yourself, like, what's going on in your heart? Are there, are there some interior issues that are taking place, something in your thought life that is hindering your fellowship with God? If it is, I might just write it down, and I'd certainly do this. 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as you go through this, you ask God, Lord, how am I really doing? Help me have a clear understanding of where I'm at. And so you you kind of write these things down spiritually, physically. How are you doing? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating the right amounts? Too little? Too much? Uh, Are you exercising? Do you just in your terms of your physical health? How are you doing? And I and I try to write that down and I'd evaluate that. Are you resting? Is there even such thing as a Sabbath rest in your life? Um, then you come to emotionally. Are emotions getting the best of me or especially the negative ones? Or do I see? No, there's, there's seemingly a, a sense of balance. Or when I do find myself slipping into emotional chaos, I find that I'm going back to God through prayer and I'm getting more handle and perspective on those things. So I try to evaluate that. Then just intellectually, how are you growing Developing? What are you reading? What are you writing? What are you listening to? What are you researching? What, where are you at? And so you just try to write some evaluation. And so that's under the area personally. I do the same thing relationally. I look at my relationships. Now, this one here, when you're in relationships with other people, you can actually ask them. So, uh, was it a couple nights ago? I asked Karina, all right. I had tried the evaluation, like, how am I doing as a husband? I asked her. Now, I want to brace you, okay? Sometimes this can be a little bit difficult, okay? But you want to hear because you want to find out, okay, where am I at and how can I grow? It's, it's well worth it, okay? And so you, you ask these questions, how am I doing? And then you look in terms of your, you ask your spouse, your children, uh, you try to evaluate in terms of your grandparents or significant relationships you have. Let me just give you two key words for your relationships, by the way, okay? You might want to write these down. Love. And respect, love and respect. You can do that. You can have good relationships. Let's move on. A third one you have financially. How are you doing financially? And you kind of assess, am I living within my means? Am I in debt? Am I getting out of debt? Am I giving back to God? What do my giving patterns look like? What does worship look like in in terms of my giving? Am I saving? What does that look like? You run an evaluation. Then you do the same professionally. Where, Where am I at? How am I doing? What is my performance? How am I interacting with coworkers, my boss? And you try to get a feel of, of where you're at. And then the final category is, is ministry. What are you doing ministry-wise? What is your ministry? If I said, hey, what's your ministry? What would you say? Oh, I'm not sure. Or, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm helping out with the children. I, in fact, I'm, I'm one of the guys that work with our five-year-olds back there. And it's awesome. And you know what your ministry is. So how are you doing? What is your ministry? Um, what sort of things are you doing? Are you developing as a prayer warrior? Maybe you're discipling a few individuals. You write those people out. Um, some people have like an, an extraordinary gift in giving. Okay. And so they've set these lofty goals out there and they do it by God's grace. They trust him. Are you starting a ministry? Are you reaching out? So what you want to do is, is to try to evaluate where you're at ministry wise. So now as you're going through this, a couple of questions that may be helpful are asking like, what is overwhelming me? Okay. What do you feel overwhelmed by? And you want to just maybe write those things out or ask this question. 
what impossible roadblock has me stuck? And usually you're going to find this is typically money, people, or some sort of circumstances. Why don't you just put it out there? What is it that is keeping you stuck? Okay. And so you just kind of you write it out there so at least you know what you're dealing with. And then the final category, the final question you ask is, what then are my next steps? You've you already figured out, okay, who, who am I? You've renewed yourself of who you are in Christ, you, where you're going, what maturity looks like. Now you, you've taken an opportunity to evaluate where you're at. Then the final one is then writing out what are my next steps. Now, the questions that you have in front of you, I don't answer all of them. Some of them are pretty quick, just like no or okay. But I, I try to go through some of these. So what are, the, what are the questions that you'd ask? Like, here's a great question. What three decisions are causing me the greatest stress? Okay. Now, by the way, stress, 80% of your stress is either has to do with indecision or lack of control. And so write out what are the three biggest decisions that are causing me the most stress? I find it very helpful just to articulate what they are. So I've got it there. It's not, it's not like this mass of confusion running around my head. I've actually spelled it out. One, two, three. Just write it down there. Um, by the way, if you're a leader... What we're talking about here, you must do. If you're going to ever lead others, you have to, first of all, know how to lead yourself. Okay? And so the leader, a leader knows what to do next, why it's important, and how to bring the appropriate resources to bear. Whoever can do that, that person emerges as a leader. Whoever can't do that fails or falters as a leader. So you try to identify what is it that causes me the biggest amount of stress, especially in the areas of indecision or lack of control and when it comes to indecision indecision is paralyzing if you can't make a decision it seems like you just kind of go between two things and it it just forces your life into a stop mode okay let me just tell you how you can overcome indecision you you identify the problem and then you investigate the alternatives and then once you've kind of looked at some different ways you could address the situation you implement a plan you pick one and but prayerfully move forward and go forward. So you look at that. Another question you can ask in terms of these next steps. What should I resign from? OK, or drop out of? OK, now uh, I, saving five or ten minutes here or there. That's not that's not really helpful. But if I could save you two to three days, well, that could be pretty significant in terms of your relationships with your family or other priorities that you might have. There are times where you have to evaluate and say, is this really what I should be doing, Lord? And if not, then you have to say, I I need to step down or step out of this. And I find in my life, and you probably have this too, I frequently have to say no to good things in order to say yes to the great things that God has called me to. There's great benefit and blessing to say no because it allows me to have the energy and to have the time to do the things that I'm certain that God has called me to. And so... Uh, you might want to evaluate, well, is there something that I should be dropping out of? Ask this question, what can I postpone? What is it that, you know, maybe on my list of things to do, I could postpone. I don't really need to do this right now. Another question that you could ask is, what things on my to-do list could another person do 80% as well? And this is especially in terms of if you're working on teams and you give oversight to people, if someone could do something 80% as well, have them do it, Okay. You're going to be far better off. Just have them do it. This is a real fog cutter for people who have trouble delegating. Um, Another question. What can I do to be more efficient? 
And this is what you want to do is you want to look at the elephants on your schedule. There was a, an Italian economist by the name of Pareto, and he had this deal about Noah and the ark. And he says, if I'm Noah and I'm on my ark and my ark is sinking, I'm going to be looking for the big animals first. OK. And so what you want to do is you want to somehow I've got to dress the elephants. Flicking off a few insects here and there, or this little rodent or varmint is not going to be overly helpful. And what he used this is he used this in terms of budgets. OK. So some people try to save on, on, on like maybe two percent of of their life or their money or whatever. They try to save 50 percent on that. That really doesn't matter. But if you have something that's 50 percent of your budget and you can learn to save 10 percent on that, why, then you've got some significant savings. Well, that same principle can be applied to your life. What are the big chunks in your life? And what is it that you can do to become more efficient in those? And one of the things that I found extremely helpful is to schedule. Okay, and so it's good to have an annual schedule with today with like things like Outlook or your Blackberry. You can actually put down major events that are happening in the year with your family, vacation, uh, major work projects, work trips. You just get those out there. Um, the beauty of things like Outlook, it has reoccurring things, so you'll never miss birthdays, anniversaries. They just automatically hop into your schedule. So you see they're, they're right there. But then you also want to look at like on a month, on a week, and each day. Now, I do this most days. I try to schedule out every hour, and oftentimes I break it down to half-hour segments of what I'm doing from the time I wake up till the time basically I'm going to go to bed. Now, my schedule is completely yielded to God, meaning he can change it. But I try to reasonably anticipate how long each different project or this meeting should take, and you put it into your schedule, and you try to follow it as best as you can. That really will help you in terms of just efficiency. So when you're considering your schedule, both the big term and even like on a week to week, also keep in mind some of the goals. Where is it that God has called you to go? And so you kind of just consider that. Let me give you one other question that's really helpful. And this is a question that uh, came from Steve Douglas. He's the president of Campus Crusade for Christ. This is an excellent question that you can use not only your workplace, but also your personal life. What three things can I do in the next three months that will make a 50% difference in reaching my goals or solving my problems? What are the three things I can do in the next three months that will make a 50% difference? The beauty of this question is it focuses you on the major items. We usually think, what are the 300 things I can do in the next 10 years that will get 100% done? Break it down into the big chunks, and this will allow you to actually put down specifically, I could do these three things, whether it's in your personal life, maybe you're hiring someone, maybe it's some project you're working on. Write down the big items. What are the three things I could do to make a 50% difference? And so you write these things down. But all of this in this section here is about this. Lord, what are my next steps. What is it that you are calling me to do? And so what I do, like I did on, on New Year's Day, I wrote down what I believed after praying and going through this exercise, next steps. Um, in here, I have things that have to do with me personally, has things to do with my family, uh, has things to do with our church. Next steps, I've written them down here, I'm praying about them, and I've got them focused in my mind, where am I to go? You know, um, if you don't have a way of refocusing, you know what's going to happen. It's kind of like the tires in your car. If your car is out of balance, you're going to wear them out way too soon. Your tires wear out. If you're out of balance, your machines break down, your nerves get on edge. 
you aren't functioning properly. But if you have a way of realigning, refocusing, readjusting, you have a way of, a way of making the most of the days that God has given you. And so my final question I want to ask you is, what is it that you are really going to be saying at the end of your life? You do not want to regret how you've lived or how you're living. And so that's why I want to just take a few minutes and just present this to you. Here's a tool to help you bring focus to the rest of your life. And so would you be like Paul? Will you be able to say, like he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, maybe actually beginning in verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us uh, some minutes together to be able to discuss how to bring focus to the rest of our life. And Father, I pray that you would use these questions to renew our identity in your son, to help us understand where we're going, to have a clear picture, Lord, of where we're at. And Lord, would you use these questions to help us to identify what are the next steps in our journey and our walk with you? And so, Lord, we want lives that bring you great glory. We want to experience your fullness and your maturity in every respect. And so we'd ask this, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.